Good morning. I'm going to try a new thing this morning. I've never preached before holding the mic. So if this is goes south, it's because of the mic. It's not all because of me. Um, good to be with you guys. My name is Stephanie. I am on the preaching team here at Artisan, as well as on the lead team. Um, I also work for a software company. And I love cheese. So that's basically me in a nutshell. Um, it's really an honor to get to be here this morning. I've had a few months off preaching, and so I'm excited to get back in. And uh, the fall is here. It's raining. And we're all coming back to church after traveling throughout the summer. So it's good to be with you all and see you all again uh, once again today. Um, as Nelson's already said, we are doing a series on Acts, the book of Acts. And he's already mentioned this in the past couple Sundays, but in case this is your first time back in a while or your first time here ever, possibly. Um, why are we doing a series, a sermon series on the book of Acts? Lots of reasons, um, but one of, the, one of the main ones that at least I, um, I'm feeling as we're going into the fall is just that we are looking at the stories of old and uh, seeing how God has moved in the past um, and wondering if God could possibly uh, reignite our imaginations and our, um, give us new eyes to see uh, ourselves in this context, in this time and place. Uh, and so I think it's really helpful to read other people's stories and see how, how God moved um, and say, okay, God, what do you have for us um, like that, but, but different because we're in a different place. So really excited to uh, join you together uh, today as we talk about Acts chapter 2, which is the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, did I just hear an amen? Yes. Love it. Okay. Keep that going. Keep that going. Thank you for sitting in the front. Um, all right. Well, uh, let's, let's pray before we dive in here. Father God, we just thank you for um, today. We thank you for this time and this place that we are in history. We thank you for your scripture that has lasted through thousands of years and that we have the uh, privilege of diving into it this morning and asking questions and inviting you, Holy Spirit, to um, ignite us. So we invite you to do that this morning as we read your scripture, as we talk about your scripture. Uh, we invite your voice, God, um, into our hearts, into our mouths. And we thank you for what you're going to do this morning, God. We, we anticipate encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so some quick background before we dive into our passage. Um, so... It's been 50 days since Jesus has died and been resurrected. Uh, it's been 10 days since Jesus was ascended into heaven. If you want to hear some sermons about those events, we did a series on the Apostles' Creed earlier this year, and uh, you can read the, listen to the podcast there. Um, and so Jesus has just spent 40 days with his disciples, um, teaching them, explaining what has happened showing them his, his wounds, the holes in his hands and feet, showing that he is actually alive. He's not just a ghost, but he is a, a being, a human being, still um, after death. Um, when he eats the food, doesn't fall to the floor, it stays in his body, he is alive. And so he spent 40 days with them, also inviting them into a mission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he said this in the different gospels in different kinds of ways. Um, but he's inviting them into a mission uh, to go forth. So Jesus ascends to heaven, is taken up into heaven. 
um, in the first chapter of Acts. And uh, here's, here's just a little bit of a summary of what he said before he left. This first part's from Acts, and then I'm heading to Luke, so I'm just mashing it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And look, I am sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until, until you are empowered from on high. So Jesus goes up to heaven to be with the Father, and he tells his followers, wait, before you go out and do the mission I've given you, wait, I'm sending you a gift. I'm sending you the Spirit. And so his followers are gathered together waiting. They wait 10 days for this gift. There's 120 of them all together. They're in a house. They're in a, in a room. What are they doing? They're probably praying, worshiping, talking. Um, but they're waiting. And so let's pick up our, our passage there. So Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 36. It's 7.58 in your chair Bibles. Acts 2, 1 to 36. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. 
David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with your joy and your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath, him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. The word of the Lord. Okay, so that's a long passage. Um, I think Nelson mentioned earlier, I, I'm the one who actually asked if we could do a sermon series on Acts. And when I thought that and said that, I was thinking I could do one on like one of the little miracles or, you know, those little stories that are smaller and shorter. And then Nelson asked me to do the 36 verses. So thank you, Nelson. Uh, <laughs> but honestly, what a, what a privilege to get to preach on the coming of a spirit. Um, we're going to cover, um, we're going to do a little bit of an exegesis this morning. We're going to ask questions like, what in the world just happened? From verse 1 to 13, why did it happen? 14 to 21, and how do we know it happened? 22 to 36. So, what in the world just happened? Verse 2, there was a sound like a violent rushing wind. Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that then separated. And, and verse 4, then there was speaking, not just speaking, but speaking in other languages, real languages that people understood. So 120 disciples of Jesus gathered together waiting for the promise that Jesus has given, this Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit shows up. What seems like wind and what seems like fire filled the house. Now, it says seems, it's like, because it wasn't wind, it wasn't fire, um, it's just that it had never been encountered before. And so Luke, the author of Acts, is trying to explain um, this, this supernatural act um, through natural elements, so fire and wind. So this, the Spirit, um, we know from verse 4 that it is the Spirit. The Spirit fills the house, and then the Spirit rests on each of them. And as they were filled up with the Spirit, they began to speak in languages that were not their own. So just to be clear, the speaking is not the gift. The Spirit was the gift. The speaking was a result of the Spirit coming. And what Luke focuses on for the rest of our passage today, for the rest of Acts really, is this ability to speak, this language, this voice, um, that how the Spirit empowers people um, through lots of different ways, but often through speaking. 
So the disciples, they start to speak these different languages, and they leave the house, and they probably go into the streets, and people start to, to gather around. And what, what is happening here? All these Galilean men, fishermen, probably not very cultured. There's no way they should know a, a language from thousands of miles away or maybe hundreds of miles away. Um, this is ragtag group of Galileans speaking other languages. There's no way they should know this. And they are utterly astounded. Um, the NIV says they were bewildered. This is the kind of uh, gift that fell on all the people, all 120. So often we think of the Holy Spirit um, giving, uh, I choose you for this gift, and I, okay, you over there, I'm going to give you this gift, and you over there. The coming of the Spirit in this story, the first time the Spirit comes and stays, is for all believers. It's not just for a select few. Everyone began to speak in other languages. What were they saying? Well, Luke doesn't say much. He just says that we hear them speaking in our own languages the magnificent acts of God, or NIV, the wonder of God in our own tongues. So we could simply skip that by. Okay, that's nice. They're saying God is good, praise God, whatever. But no, they had just seen Jesus be resurrected from the dead. They had just spent 40 days with Jesus, with this living Savior, the magnificent acts of God probably had a lot to do with Jesus' resurrection. Let me tell you what just happened. Let me tell you about what he said to us during those 40 days. Let me tell you about his plan to redeem the world, to set the captives free, to loose the prisoners. Let me tell you how he's changed my life as I've been with him. The magnificent acts of God. This is the gift that God had promised long ago. It wasn't just something that it was a last-minute thought. Um, throughout the Old Testament, we see God who promises that he's going to send his spirit, his presence, to be with his people. So this was the day in history, um, a very important day, just like the day in history when Jesus was resurrected. This is a day in history where the spirit comes and stays. Up to this point, the Spirit had often come and then left, come and then left. The Spirit stays. So I want to just pause here. Um, I know we just dove in pretty deep. Right, Mike? Yeah, we did. Um, I want to pause here and just acknowledge that some of this stuff comes with us feeling a bit uncomfortable. Um, we probably, we may have had, at best, weird experiences. If you grew up in the church, you might have had some weird experiences um, with the label, this is the Holy Spirit. Um, at worst, you may have had traumatic, abusive experiences um, administered by others, all in the name of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to acknowledge that, um, that we come with, um, with those experiences. This is not that. When we say this morning, the baptism of the Spirit, or the filling of the Spirit, or speaking in tongues, uh, this is not that. Um, this is not a God that is suddenly possessing people. These are not people that are out of their mind or out of control. These are people that are ready, uh, prepared, and eager for the coming of the Spirit. They had been immersed in the presence of Jesus for 40 days, and also many of these followed him for three years, so they knew Jesus, they trusted Jesus. Um, these were not unsuspecting people, um, 
where God was taking advantage of them. So these are disciples of, of Jesus asking for his presence, prepared. Their hearts were ready to receive the presence so that they could bear witness. And not just bear witness, but bear witness with power. With power. And that's what we're seeing taking place in Acts 2. They were ready not just to speak, but for the Holy Spirit to speak through them. So what just, just, what just happened? A presence was given for all the followers of Jesus. A power was given for all the followers of Jesus. And a voice was given for all the followers of Jesus. Okay, moving on to verse 14. Why did it happen? So there's chaos in the streets. People are wondering what is going on. They ask the question, what does this mean? Okay, so there's people, all these people speaking all these different languages. What does this mean? And so Peter gets up and decides that he should explain it. So he gives a, a sermon or a speech. Um, he starts with, this is that. And we'll read Joel, and then I'll, I'll tell you what I mean. This, so we'll read Joel. So he actually quotes the prophet Joel, as, as Acts says. He's going back to the Old Testament um, and reading a prophecy that Joel had given hundreds of years before. This was what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Peter says, this, what you're seeing happen before your eyes, this is the prophecy that Joel gave hundreds of years earlier. This is that prophecy being fulfilled today. And remember, these are, these are Jews he's talking to. They must have been shocked. This is that? We've been waiting. We've been waiting for God's spirit. Um, and now it is here. Now he is here. So one thing that uh, Peter actually ch changes a couple things in the, in the prophecy. One of those things is that instead of saying, in Joel, it says, after this, God says, to start with, Peter actually changes it to say, in the last days. So he gets to, he gets to change scripture a little bit there. That's not what we're going to talk about today. Um, but he changes it to, in the last days, and then he goes on and gives the prophecy. Um, why? Because this prophecy is being fulfilled in that day. It's no longer... It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. It's these now are the last days. The Spirit has come, and these are now the last days. The Spirit is going to be poured out on all people. Get ready to prophesy. Get ready to dream dreams and to see visions. So all people, not all people, irrespective of whether or not they want to receive the Spirit, but all people in the sense of all genders, nationalities, social positions, and ages, the Spirit is offered indiscriminately to all people. Which means that we are also in the last days. It means that we are also the prophets, the vision seers, the dreamers, the speakers, 
And we are also the witnesses of the magnificent acts of God in our day. We'll come back to that later. How do we know what happened? The third part here, verses 22 to 36. We're not going to spend a lot of time um, on this part. But basically what Peter does here is he directs them back to their own scriptures, back to Psalms. And using Psalm as an authority, he shows that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead and that this Jesus, who they killed, he's not very, he doesn't mince words here. He points out a couple times. Remember, you, you guys killed him. This Jesus, who they killed, is the Messiah. And he says, we are witnesses. We are witnesses because we have seen Jesus. We've walked with him, and we've seen him risen from the dead. And that's all we're going to say about that section. If you have questions after, please ask Nelson. Um, Or Scott. Yeah, or Scott. Um, Okay, so one of the questions I had as I was preparing for this was, but why? Why did the Holy Spirit have to come? Jesus had completed the work, right? He's died. He's resurrected. He's even given them a mission. So why is it not good enough for them to go, okay, we know the story. Jesus, the work is done. Now I'm going to go and I'm going to tell the story. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. I'm going to tell them that he um, can forgive them of their sins, that they can have a new heart, all those things. And yet the Spirit had to come. Why? Can you imagine if the Spirit hadn't have come? Yeah, the first century maybe... People would keep talking about it. I, I met this guy who, who uh, was raised from the dead. But the second century, mm, yeah, that was before my, my parents met him. Um, and then my grandparents. And then as the centuries go on, it becomes folklore, possibly a myth. Um, not believed. It's just a story. And now we're in the 21st century. 2,000 years ago, there's this story, you guys, and it's for you. I don't know. I don't, I don't think that would have flown do you, do you guys think it would have flown? I'm seeing, I'm seeing nothing. Okay, let's go on. Um, <laughs> I'm seeing nothing. Um, so the Spirit comes. Why? Because Jesus is still here. Century after century after century, Jesus is still here. It is the presence of Jesus. And this presence of Jesus empowers them, not just to tell the story of when he was on the earth, but empowers them so that the story continues in their lives and in their generation and, and generation after generation. It's not just a remember when, but it's a today. The presence of Jesus is here today, moving, working, changing, bringing glory to himself. Um, a quote from John Stott, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. And I think we kind of sometimes know in our church experience, again, if you've been around the church long enough, you know that there are churches without the Spirit, and it's pretty dang dead. So I think John Stott is right on the money there. Um, As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. We need the Spirit for every aspect of our life in Christ. And we have the Spirit.
Okay, another quote for you. As we move into our application, here we go. Every detail of the day of Pentecost reveals that the prime purpose for the coming of the Holy Spirit was to witness to the Lord Jesus. The dominating element in the Spirit's witness would always be the spoken word. He would, of course, empower the apostles to do many signs and wonders from time to time, both to authenticate and to illustrate what was being said. But without the word to explain their significance, no one would know what the significance was or what it was that the miracles were witnessed to. Without the word, no one would come to faith in Jesus as the Christ or understand either the true terms or the true contents of the salvation that was available through him. The word then must be predominant. And since that word would be spoken through human lips, the first necessity would be to authenticate the channel of communication. And that is what, exactly what we're seeing in Acts 2. The Spirit comes and authenticates the channel of communication, which is all of his followers. The dominating element in the Spirit's witness would always be the spoken word. So friends, if you are a follower of Jesus today, then you and I are the channel of communication. Isn't that exciting? That's where we are. We're now 2,000 years or so, give or take, after the happenings of this story, when the Spirit came down and filled the house and rested on the followers and they began to speak. They were the channel back then and we are the channel of communication today in this day and time. We are now the prophets that Joel spoke of. Not someone with the gift of prophecy, but all people. All people. Now, there is the gift of prophecy, but we all are the prophets. We all are the vision seers and the dreamers. All of us. We are now the ones who declare the magnificent acts of God in our day, in this day. So what does this witness of Christ look like today? Well, we see it in our community, right? I'm sure you all have beautiful stories of either in your life or, or people that you talk to where the witness of Christ is just so potent um, as people speak and use their voices. I've been a part of the Monday prayer hour, first and third Monday of every month, Monday Prayer Hour, that was a little advertisement, by the way, in case you didn't catch that, um, for two years. I think we've been going for two years. And sometimes we pray for our colleagues at work. Um, and I really struggle. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a boss over some people at work, a manager. And I struggle because I'm supposed to not really bring my faith into the workplace. And, you know, you have to be really careful. And then my, my um, coworkers come to me with really personal things. Um, and hard things, and I don't know what to say. I know what I want to say, but I have to, you know, be really um, vague about, well, I'll be, I'll be thinking of you. Um, what I want to do is, like, let's pray. Let's ask God to come and intervene, but I, I can't, right? So I really struggle with this, um, and so I brought it to, to prayer um, one night when we were praying for the Monday prayer hour, and we all were just praying for our, our coworkers and ourselves, like, God, we don't know how to speak in our workplaces, and then that very week, um, God gave me a really beautiful opportunity to, to just share really naturally, and it wasn't like crossing 
the boundaries or whatever, but it was just this really uh, beautiful conversation I got to have with one of my colleagues, and it continues on. We're continuing to pray, um, and God is moving. And so I think just kind of acknowledging, like, oh, I just really struggle with this. I don't know how to say this um, in this context. There's also stories about neighborhood groups that, that, that you're a part of, and the group spiritual direction I've heard. There's incredible things happening with that at our church, which you guys, some of you are a part of that as well. Um, people being empowered by the Spirit to use their voices and to learn to use their voices. Even our Sunday morning gatherings, people have been um, speaking, right? We've had more of that. And I love that. I think that's just the, the stirring of the Spirit, to use our voices, to bear witness to the magnificent acts of God in our lives in this day. Loosening our tongues. Yes, the gift of tongues. I'll just say it. It's the gift of tongues. Um, it can be actually in English. It doesn't have to be other, other languages. So let's keep going. Let's keep going with that. Um, I want just to f- take a moment um, to just frame our moment in time in history and our culture. Uh, like I've kind of alluded to, I'll, I'll say it more, maybe more clearly. I don't know about you, but I've had a really hard time finding my voice as a Christian in Vancouver. And maybe you're thinking, uh, duh, you're preaching right now. But let's be honest. We, I grew up in the church. I know, I know the words. We know the words. So um, we can say things and not be authentic, right? We can say things that are not from a place of an encounter with God or out of faith or abiding with Christ. We can say things that are not filled by the Spirit and not directed by Him. So I've actually just really had a lifelong struggle with that, possibly because I'm a nine. Um, but, but beyond that, I think I've just not known what to say or how to say it. And God has definitely brought um, a lot of freedom in my life in the last few years, especially in that area. Why is it so hard to speak sometimes when we're out there? Why is it so hard to be a witness of Jesus I was just reflecting on how good God has been to me. My whole life, um, and I think about my time in Vancouver since I've been back from India, and just God has been so good to me, you guys. I mean, yeah, I, see, I don't even have the words. Spit out the words, Steph. I'm not used to talking about it, right? And so it's like so many miracles, so much provision in my life, um, so much freedom from sin, like not just like Jesus, forgive my sins, but like sin, 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 you know, that stuff that we just wrestle with. God has set me free. God has set me free from things that would steal and kill and destroy in my life. God's been so good. I come to church and sometimes in our worship, I just want to be like, yes, God, I love you. Send me to the ends of the world again. I might die again. It's okay. And you just have this like, oh, I love you so much, Lord. Thank you. And then we walk out of the doors of the Japanese hall, and it's like, and we encounter people at our job or on the street or our friends, family, and we don't know what to say. We don't know what to speak. I want to offer a few reasons this morning. There's more, but these are a few reasons why perhaps that is the case for us in the 21st century in Western culture. The first one is disbelief. We have doubts about our faith, about Scripture, about the authority of Scripture, and we don't really know if the Bible is true or relevant anymore. We hear or we ask questions like, why does the Bible seem to endorse murdering children? 
Why can men have multiple wives or concubines in the Old Testament, but today Christians say they believe and the, the Bible teaches monogamy? Why does the Bible seem to promote oppression of women? Is the Bible really a patriarchal, misogynistic, white supremacist, anti-scientific book for ignorant people, like everyone at work tells me it is? And never mind the Bible. Where is God in my pain and suffering and the pain of suffering of this world? Am I just an ignorant person? Is what I believe actually dangerous to society? Because that's what I'm told. So we have disbelief. And we're actually hit with a million questions outside and honestly in the church as well, right? I mean, and in ourselves. It's not just out there coming in. It's our own questions. And we might not leave the faith, but we absolutely over time grow silent. We grow silent, speechless, confused, ashamed, and embarrassed, and we say nothing. Number two, distraction. We're distracted. All those questions and statements I just listed, we're so distracted with, yes, our phones, social media, Netflix, friends is leaving Netflix soon, got to get my friends on before they leave, um, pornography, our quest for self-worth, our quest for self-fulfillment, and we don't actually take the time to answer these questions or even look for answers. I don't know if I believe the Bible has any authority in my life or in this world, but I don't have it in me to find out if it does. Next show. And we grow more silent. Number three, suspicion of meta-narratives. Historically, those with a meta-narrative become violent and oppressive to others. Our culture is highly suspicious of anyone that holds to a meta-narrative. We don't want to be under a grand overarching story, like the story of the reign and rule of Jesus throughout history. We don't want that. Our culture does not want that. That's dangerous. But that is what we believe as his followers. And so we grow more silent. We're afraid of what others will think. Number four, kingdom without a king. We look around and we see a culture that actually embraces so many good things. Things that we know are a part of God's heart and, and character, equality, justice, peace, love, a beautiful social and socio-political vision. These are all things that our culture also wants. We long for a day when we can coexist without violence and war and hatred. But what we want or what our culture wants is the kingdom without the king. We don't want someone telling us what is right and wrong. We don't want to judge and we don't want to submit to anyone. We only want to measure ourselves against ourselves. A kingdom without a king. Post-Christian Western culture. One I'll add here that's not on the screen is, uh, oh, the animations worked. That, I didn't realize that. I was playing last night. They're all supposed to be there at once. They were, okay. Can, yeah, I was... I forgot to remove that from Keynote, so um, that's so distracting. I realized I was trying to do it like one at a time, and then I realized I don't know how to use Keynote, like I know the very basics. I didn't have time to actually do it, so it doesn't matter. Number five, which is not there, um, is uh, plural, pluralism. Yeah, back, back into the sermon. Um, pluralism. Um, we have Muslim, we have Buddhists, we have atheists, 
We have, um, the list goes on. Friends, good people, people that are after good things, people that might be more moral than us. And so this is also, well, how could I say that this is the, the truth or the way when your life, you're living a life that looks better than mine? So this is also another reason why we grow silent. And you probably have your own list as well. So as we close, let's just take um, some moments at the end to consider these for ourselves and the other ones as well. Perhaps you have um, you've grown silent. You've struggled with it, as I have. Sometimes I think um, our silent, in our silence, it's, it's important to name things. Naming it helps us to move past it, to work through it, to identify, okay, like, that's the thing. That's the thing. I'm afraid of what others think of me. That's the thing. Okay, we can work with that. And I just want to say, if this is not you, um, if this is not you, that is so amazing, and don't feel like you have to find something. If you have overcome the spirit of doubt and fear and embraced your voice and the power of the Holy Spirit, then as your community, um, we just want to bless you in that. And we, I just want to say we need your voice. We need your voice in this community and outside of this community. We need your voice that is empowered by the Spirit to speak. Please use it. And I, do, I, want, I want to say as well that not just we need it, you, it is a welcome here. You are welcome here. You are welcome to speak. You are welcome to speak. If you are in the middle of doubts and struggles, like maybe some of the ones I've listed, I actually want to celebrate that too because that means that you're engaging with your faith and you're wrestling with our culture. And you haven't given up. And I just want to bless you uh, with the resilient power of the Spirit the resilient power of the Spirit to work through that, to lay it down, to use the voice that Jesus has planned for you to use. I bless you in your wrestling and in your laying down of self through repentance, through picking up your cross and following Jesus. Our culture is resistant because they don't understand it is saving grace. It is unending love. It is good news. If you identify in the first one I mentioned, um, all the questions that we have about scripture, about faith, I just want to remind you that Nelson's putting on a table group starting very soon. Um, that actually is going to go through Rachel Held Evans' book called Inspired, and it's, it's tackling some of these very questions that I mentioned. It's tackling, is the Bible, is it, what does it mean that the Bible has authority in my life? So I encourage you to go. Those conversations, just talking through it, can really be transformative. And I just want to remind you, too, that this isn't just us. This is not just you. Um, this was the early church, right? This was Peter, the man who got up and spoke and explained to many, many, many people um, what was going on. Peter was the one who denied Jesus. He was the one who, when a little girl... A little child asked him if he knew Jesus, he denied Jesus. So now Peter is speaking in front of thousands, probably thousands of people. What happened? Peter spent time with Jesus. Peter was reconciled to Jesus. <laughs> Perhaps that was 
the Holy Spirit. I don't know. Uh, and so, so Peter was spent time with him. Peter was re-engulfed in the story of Jesus, and he was forgiven, absolutely forgiven. And so if this is you today, this is the early church. This is a bunch of scared followers of Jesus scattering, right? And then Jesus brings them back together and puts his trust in them and says, now, I forgive you. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. I'm going to empower you to do that. I will empower your voice. Jesus met Peter where he was at, and he transformed him. And that is what Jesus is in the middle of doing with me, and I'm guessing with many, many of you who are in the middle of that story. But let's steep ourselves. Let's steep ourselves abiding in Christ in this story that we find ourselves in. We are in the last days, friends. These are the last days. And we have been given a beautiful mission, not to do all these amazing, crazy things, but to speak, to let, to prepare ourselves for the Spirit to come and to transform us and to speak through us. And, and as we'll see in Acts, as we go through Acts, amazing things happen. These people, as it says, turn the world upside down. And that is our call as well in these simple ways, like speaking of what we see and hear, the magnificent acts of God in our time. I'm going to end with a quote, a beautiful quote from Barbara. Oh, I put BBT, thinking, yeah, I don't remember her middle initial. Barbara Taylor. Barbara Brown Taylor, thank you. Yeah. Um, and this is just a beautiful way of, of, of her explaining the, the coming of the Spirit. The question for me is whether we still believe in a God who acts like that. Do we still believe in a God who blows through closed doors and sets our heads on fire? Do we still believe in a God with power to transform us, both as individuals and as a people? Or have we come to an unspoken agreement that our God is pretty old and tired by now? Someone to whom we may address in our prayers, address our prayers, prayer requests, but not anyone we really expect to change our lives. There is some fine teaching available on the Holy Spirit. But she's very wise. And I hope none of you is satisfied with it. I hope none of you rests until you have felt the Holy Spirit blow through your own life, rearranging things, opening things up, and maybe even setting your own head on fire. There is nothing you can do to make it happen. As far as I know, Accept to pray, come Holy Spirit, every chance you get. If you don't want anything to change in your life, then for heaven's sake, don't pray that. But if you are the type of person who likes to stand out on the porch when there is a storm moving through so you can feel the power that is pushing the trees around, then you are probably a good candidate for the Holy Spirit prayer. Amen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close in prayer, and then we're just going to have a couple of minutes to, if you could put the list back on the, thank you, um, just to consider that, to consider what, what else came to your mind, and just to name, name our fear, name our doubt, and know that you're in a community that uh, wants to walk with you through that, and know that the Spirit has come, we're not waiting for anything more, the Spirit is here, and so our readiness, our preparation um, our openness is what the Spirit is looking for. And we already see glimpses of that. Let's keep it going. 
we've been put in this time and this place in this city for a very specific reason. We are the witnesses. We are the voices of the magnificent acts of God. Father, we thank you that this is truly not on our own strength. We thank you that you have sent your presence to empower us, to empower our voices, God, so they don't fall flat, so that that power streams through to the listener, to the hearers, and they are struck with the magnificent acts of God. God, we thank you that um, you are faithful. You're faithful when we are faithless. You're faithful when we are faithless, God. And we ask this morning that you would come, Holy Spirit, meet each of us in the places that we are, in our joy, in our, in our victories, and in our struggles, in our defeats. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and meet us here? And would you raise our voices for this generation, God? We offer ourselves to you. We offer ourselves, our little bodies, our vocal cords, we want the filling of the Spirit so that our friends and our neighbors, our community, can know how good you are, can know that your salvation is also for them. So, God, we invite you to move. <laughs>